I am so very happy to be here with you all. My name is Jenny Seibel, and I'm the interim rector here at Emmanuel. And uh, I've been out for 12 weeks on maternity leave. Could not be happier to be here with you all today. Uh, so thanks for, thanks for showing up to church. I also want to thank Amy Winkle for uh, being the interim interim while I have been out um, for leading so well. Um, she's not going anywhere. She's going to stick around for God knows how long, and I mean that literally. Um, so we're very grateful to still still have her here. I felt sad for me not being able to work at the same time as her, but I don't have to feel sad for me anymore. So she'll be here with me. Um, I want to invite you all uh, or you know, acknowledge that we're in the season of Lent together today uh, by just saying that um, I saw on the Today Show, Mark Wahlberg is also celebrating Lent, and uh, which is great. And uh, the banner at the bottom of the screen said, as he was talking about Lent, said, Mark Wahlberg's 40-day challenge. <laughs> so I'm putting forth to you all that we will no longer call it Lent, but we'll be calling it Mark Wahlberg's 40-day challenge. <laughs> So I'm thrilled about that. Um, it's, I mean, 40-day challenge, that's what it is. So um, you may have noticed uh, that I'm wearing a collar today, uh, and uh, you, you may have been here last week when I announced that, that Amy and I would be wearing collars. Uh, you may have come to Ash Wednesday and seen it as well. Um, there's a little write-up that will go out in the weekly reader tomorrow um, if you'd like sort of a more of a background on why we made that decision. Uh, but I wanted to like say a couple of things today too that I just feel like very important to me and ways to acknowledge, I think, what is um, uh, the, the decision behind this and the heart behind it. Uh, we started talking about it over a year ago, Matthew and I and the leadership team did, and then um, and just kind of kept waiting for it to be a good time and, you know, I was coming back from maternity leave starting on Ash Wednesday. It felt like a really good time. So, so we started it then. Um, but a lot of like what was behind this decision for us has been a lot of you who have been here for the past uh, however long know that it's been just a difficult time for our church. There's been a lot of transition, a lot of, a lot of change, a lot of um, kind of uh, it's been a liminal space. We kind of haven't known what's next for a really long time. And, uh, and that's really hard. And has been, like, frankly, a really lonely season and a really difficult season. And one of the gifts that has um, come to me and to us in this season is that we are a part of something bigger than just us. So as hard as, like, things here have been, like, as an individual congregation, church, staff, whatever, um, the reminder that we are a part of something that is worldwide um, has been a real gift. And it may seem like a small thing, but wearing a collar is a way to, like, be in solidarity with this thing that's been in solidarity with us this whole time. And, um, and I think about uh, how humbling it is that, like, ministers all over the world today and every Sunday wake up and put on their collar and go preach and go minister to people. And uh, so to be in solidarity with those ministers around the world and say, like, I'm not above or below, like, wearing this as well and being, being one, of, one of them um, has just been a really great gift. It's been a really sweet thing. And so that's, that's some of the heart behind it. And I just wanted to share that with you because that's not, um, not in the write-up for tomorrow. It's more like kind of practical things. But I just wanted to share that with you as you um, are on this journey with us. So before I read the text for today, I want to tell you a funny story. Um, because the crazy thing is, like, I've been out for 12 weeks, and some of you, like, are new 
since that time and don't know me at all. So I thought it would be nice to tell you a story about something that happened while I was out, um, a humiliating story, so you can get to know me. And um, if you do know me, you'll say, this is classic. So, um, so here's my story. It comes with slides, so, uh, so it's a really good story. Uh, I am married to a man named Gabe, and he is number five in a uh, family of seven children, which if you've ever had a baby, you know that's a lot of babies. And... Um, and they are, it's ever-growing. Almost every one of them are married. Four of us have reproduced, um, and it ke- keeps coming. So um, anyways, it's a wonderful family to be in. They are like larger-than-life people. They are wonderful, optimistic people, somehow like all extroverts. And, um, and I have somehow found myself in this family. And uh, I'm not, not any of those things, not an optimist, not an extrovert, all of those. So anyways, so they're a, they're a lot for me. <laughs> and, um, but like truthfully, they are like the greatest grace in my life is to be like yoked to this family is like so great for me. So anyways, th- they can be a lot for me sometimes. And especially the group texts. <laughs> it's, it's too much. So I can handle one. But they're just, you know, iterations. You know what I'm talking about. All families do this. It's like the kids text and then the spouses text or, you know, whatever the thing is. So I got on some text that was like the Christmas gift text. And it was, um, my sister-in-law was putting together a Christmas gift for my in-laws, John and Connie. And I was 100 months pregnant and not interested and um, and and wanting to be a part of what was happening, so I was like, "That's so great! Like all Venmo, some money, whatever needs to be done." So I like kind of like mentally opt out of what's going on here and on my phone. And uh, and then a few weeks after that, the sister-in-law texts me individually and says, "What's your favorite Bible verse?" And I like forget that this might be attached to like a gift or anything like that. So I, being a Bible nerd, give her a funny verse, um, and. <laughs> Uh, Lo and behold, this verse gets put on a family calendar (laughs) and um, gets printed for everyone to see. So I just wanted to show you (laughs) the family calendar. So here's the first page. Looks beautiful, doesn't it? Nice calendar. This is like the family verse because they're the kind of family that has a family verse. Um, The next one, cute pictures of the family when they're kids. Very sweet. Next one. So this is like the, each family gets a page. This is my brother-in-law Daniel and sister-in-law Tara, and they're cute kids, and they pick a very normal verse. Psalm 91. This is Joel. Same thing. Be strong and courageous. Such a great verse. So here's my family's page. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? I meant every word of it. <laughs> Mark 14, 6. <laughs> Jenny's life verse. <laughs> so there you have it. It's my calendar. I have a PDF if you'd like it printed for your home. Just shoot me an email. Very funny. All right, you can take it down now. <laughs> All right. Thanks for laughing. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4 today. Chapter 4, verse 1. Is this 
still getting you? Yeah, it's pretty funny. I have not stopped thinking about it. All right. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you do not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, It is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if you've been around the last couple of weeks, you probably heard that we are going to be talking about the spiritual disciplines during the season of Lent. Uh, so kind of taking a step back from the normal Bible reading plan we follow, the lectionary, and instead choosing uh, scriptures that align sort of with these spiritual disciplines so that we can, as a church, kind of come together and do like a deeper dive together on these things. Uh, so we'll be talking today about fasting. Uh, in the future, in the next following weeks, we'll be talking about prayer and study and simplicity, service, and submission. We're also going to have some, like, outside voices come in and preach those things, too, because I'm, uh, you know, humble enough, at least, to say I can't teach you all about all of the disciplines. And so um, so I'm really excited to have some, some voices come in who are, like, really good at these things, at speaking about these things, to teach us and be with us. Uh, spiritual disciplines have been a part of the Christian life uh, since the very beginning, uh, and even before that, in terms of our Jewish brothers and sisters who, who really gave these gifts uh, to us, and Jesus himself who practiced these things. Adele Calhoun, who says in her book, Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, which is awesome if you want to learn more about the spiritual disciplines, she says, from its beginning, the church linked the desire for more of God to intentional practices, relationships, and experiences that gave people space in their lives to keep company with Jesus. And so I think that's a really helpful way to think about the disciplines if you've never sort of experienced these things. It's like they are ways in which you can learn to keep company with Jesus. I think also a helpful term when we're thinking about the spiritual disciplines and how to engage in our life in real and enduring ways is uh, the scripture we read from the book of Joel at the Ash Wednesday service when Joel says, rend your hearts and not your garments. Fasting and spiritual disciplines are ways we engage with God. They're not just like things we do on the outside, but things that like transform on the inside. They're practices that take the inside and the outside and make them work together at the same time. In the psalm we read today, it's the same. For you desire no sacrifice or else I would give it to you. You delight not in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God is a troubled spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you shall not despise. So engaging in the spiritual disciplines isn't salvific. This isn't like the way that we earn salvation with God or anything like that. Um, they put us in a place, rather, where we begin to just sort of notice God in a new way and make space for God in a new way. And on the other hand, it's also not just another like task on our to-do list. Uh, if we don't engage our hearts in fasting, for example, it's just a diet. 
Like you could download an app and fast. You could do Mark Wahlberg's 40-day challenge. I'm sure he is acting spiritually and positive. Um, So anyways, you have to engage your heart with these things or else they're just things that you're doing on the outside and not engaging on the inside as well. The disciplines are simply keeping company with Jesus by making space for him. And there's no real better time to do this than like the wilderness season of Lent. To like go out into uncharted territory with Jesus and do new things as a way to invite him into our lives creatively and to do things in new ways, to hear him maybe in new ways. Fasting has been part of the Judeo-Christian tradition for millennia. And uh, there isn't one specific thing it's for in the Bible. It actually gets used as a practice for a lot of different things. Uh, People fasted in times of mourning or repentance when they needed strength or mercy or um, to persevere. People fasted when they needed to hear from God. There's lots of different reasons why people throughout history have engaged in fasting. It's kind of the key discipline of Lent because of this story we read here today, uh, which is actually the lectionary text for today as it, as it happens, um, is Jesus in the wilderness, and he's fasting before he goes out and begins his ministry. For Jesus, he knew that what he was about to undertake was something that was too big for just him to do alone, that he needed the help of God. And so, therefore, he went out into the wilderness and he fasted for 40 long days. And for him, that, like, started something that he could finish in the way that only Jesus could because he spent that time in the wilderness with God preparing. His time of fasting in the wilderness shows us a lot, I think, about fasting and our relationship with God and what all of it means. Uh, But three things sort of stand out to me as worth noting, which we'll spend our time on the, the rest of today. The first is deprivation and then desperation and then freedom. So fasting is a form of deprivation. We deprive ourselves of something in hopes of gaining something else. A very simple way I like to think about it is, let's say I drink six cups of soda every single day. I can choose then to not add in six cups of anything else, just take away the soda entirely. Or I can add in six cups of water and add in something really good into my life. Fasting, it's very basic practice, is to take something away in order to put something really good back in. So in fasting, we take like a vessel of our life, a vessel of time or um, a vessel like a practice, something that's good in our life, um, and we empty it out and replace it with prayer. Um, So if you're fasting, you need to pray also and read your Bible during this season. If we're not doing those things, we're not adding things sort of back in in the way that they're supposed to. Fasting uh, is a way for us to give God more space in our lives. I want to read you uh, an excerpt from a book by a woman named Catherine Marshall. The book is called A Closer Walk. And uh, it's a really practical example. I think practical examples are so helpful with spiritual disciplines. It's also like a nice, well-written little uh, nugget. Um, So I want to read this. This is about her fast from being critical. Anyone fasting from being critical this Lent? I think it's a great fast to do. So here's what she says. And we'll see like how God adds back in the good stuff. The first half of the day, I simply felt a void, almost as if I had been wiped out as a person. This was especially true at lunch with my husband and other adult members of my family. Several topics came up, school prayer, abortion, the ERA amendment, about which I had definite opinions. I listened to the others and kept silent. Barbed comments on the tip of my tongue, 
about certain world leaders were suppressed. In our talkative family, no one seemed to notice. Bemused, I noticed that my comments were not missed. The federal government, the judicial system, and the institutional church could apparently get along fine without my penetrating observations. But still, I didn't see what this fast on criticism was accomplishing until mid-afternoon. For several years, I had been praying for one talented young man whose life had gotten sidetracked. Perhaps my prayers for him had been too negative. That afternoon, a specific positive vision for this life was dropped into my mind with God's unmistakable hallmark on it, joy. Ideas began to flow in a way I have not experienced in years. Now it was apparent what the Lord wanted me to see. My critical nature had not corrected a single one of the multitudinous things I had found fault with. What it had done was to stifle my own creativity in prayer, in relationships, perhaps even in writing, ideas that God wanted to give me. So that's the first thing for us as a church, to, as we enter into this season of fasting together, to open ourselves up to the possibilities of what God, God might do, and to be like really genuinely expectant that like, I won't be the same when Easter comes this year. God's going to do something miraculous in this church and in my life and in your life. I like really believe that, opening ourselves up to that every day as you go on this Lenten journey with us in fasting. And if you didn't hear already, just to say, like, we are corporately fasting together. If you'd like to join us, uh, fasting from alcohol and from sweets and from meat on Fridays. And the reason we do that is uh, it's a way to just be in solidarity with Jesus on the day that he died on Fridays. Um, so just give up a little bit extra. So if you'd like to join us in that, you're welcome to. We also are observing uh, resurrection days. So on Sundays throughout Lent, you're invited to partake in all of those things from which we are fasting as we celebrate. Even in the season of Lent, uh, Jesus really is still risen. And so we celebrate in those ways. I ate my daughter's chocolate at 3 a.m. this morning. So <laughs> I've been celebrating all day. So the second thing is, Fasting reveals our desperation. Fasting is meant to make us learn how to equate physical hunger and physical desire with spiritual hunger and spiritual desire. To let the physical stuff be like a visceral sign of something that is very true that I may not notice all the time. It's supposed to like just perk up my uh, senses to realizing the truth of my spiritual hunger and my desire for God. Uh, it's a way to just kind of bring it to the surface. I've been contemplating a lot this week about how Jesus, uh, how equated Jesus' spiritual hunger was with his physical hunger. For him to have fasted for 40 full days and still be able to say when he was tempted with food, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. How convinced he must have been that that was true, to be 40 days in and be able to say that. And not like with a bold conviction, I'd imagine, but like a, a weak conviction. Not that the conviction was weak, but the way he expressed it was weak, vulnerable. Uh, weakness in his voice, but like conviction in his heart, you know. I think about Jesus, and I think about how physically weak and emotionally drained he must have been. Like, he was probably not a pretty sight, you know. Um, and so this Lent, if you become like not a pretty sight, not the best version of yourself, so that Jesus can go into those not the best versions places in you and create something new. Like, that's exactly what this is for. I, um, we joke a lot on staff about Micah and I because we are, um, 
are deep feelers and can go into like some deep dark places rather quickly. And uh, we realized a couple years into uh, being on staff together, realized that our spouses are both like very great gifts to us and respond to us when we go into the dark place in similar ways. Both of them ask us, um, when was the last time you ate? (laughs) Because sometimes that's all it takes to spiral, you know? And so when we're fasting, that's exactly what it's meant to do, is to like reveal the desperateness that is within us. And so if we can take that like uncomfortable thing that happens when we want something and are not immediately getting it, that instant gratification, if we can take that desire and place it towards God and then ask God to fill us, that's the whole point. That's the whole point of fasting. Being in the wilderness means we're a little less polished, but becoming a little more holy. When I think about fasting and the effect of taking something away in order to find something better, I think about a lot of different stories in the Bible. So I've been thinking about coming back, you know, for Lent for like several months now and thinking about these stories of people losing their senses. And um, because fasting is kind of like losing your sense of taste in a way. Like you're losing a sense of taste for something in particular. And, uh, and so I've been thinking about these stories where people lose their senses, which is all throughout the Bible. I was thinking about Zechariah, uh, John the Baptist's dad, who didn't believe that his wife could be pregnant and his, his voice was taken from him. Um, and he got to get it back when he got to say his son's name out loud for the first time. But that that was a transformative experience for him. There was like new life in God on the other side. Same thing for Paul when he met Jesus and he went blind and then went on this great adventure to like receive his sight again. And we all know what happened to Paul. The story in particular that has stood out to me as like the Lenten posture for us as Christians is the story of blind Bartimaeus. Anyone remember blind Bartimaeus? Um, He is a blind man, a beggar by the side of the road, as the Bible puts it. Uh, He's in a crossroads place where there's lots of pedestrian traffic so that he can uh, receive as much as he can, uh, as he can, so that he can survive. And, um, and he sits on the side of the road, and Jesus starts processing through this, this particular road. And when Jesus came to town, it was a big deal. So there's probably, like, lots and lots of people, and lots uh, they're following him and lots of noise. And he happens to overhear. It's Jesus of Nazareth is walking through town. And the man yells, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd is like, shh, shushes him kind of embarrassed, you know, the townspeople are of this guy. And he says it again, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus hears him and tells them to, to come to him. Um, the Bible says, take, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And so Bartimaeus goes to Jesus and Jesus, is, uh, Jesus heals him. And that for me, that idea of, ooh, it's just the microphone, of Jesus, I thought it was like a rat. Y'all are about to see something happen up here. Um, That idea of calling out to Jesus in our deprivation, you know, in in that desperation, uh, to me is like exactly the posture we're meant to have in the season of Lent. There's a song by John Mark McMillan where he kind of like recreates the scene and what he says is, um, son of David, don't pass me by. And so for us, it's like, what is the thing that we ask for? When we say, son of David, don't pass me by, let's say he doesn't and he sees you. 
What are you asking him for? What are you desperate for? And I don't just mean like the surface things. Like some of us are like desperate for a new job or desperately lonely and wants to be married. And those things are really good desires, but what they are is like reflective of the deeper desire we all have in us. And so while we need to pray those prayers all throughout the year, the thing that Lent calls us to ask is like, what is the deeper thing in me? What is the thing about God that I'm desperate for and that I'm asking for? And to get clear about that and to really ask God for that thing. So this season, I invite you to name what it is that you're desperate for, to like really get clear about what that thing is from God. I think it's helpful to hear examples. So for me, right now, I'm just in a season in life where like the well feels empty. Do you know what I mean? Um, I think the technical term for it is burnout, but I'm just tired of hearing that word. Um, But it just feels like we all have a well inside of us and mine just happens to be empty. And if I do something like I go to a coffee shop and I spend a morning alone and I read my Bible and I have a wonderful time, I get like a little bit of water in there. Um, And then all it takes is one thing and then the water's gone again. Um, So like this past week, I was feeling good. Gabe asked me why I hadn't bought a front doormat yet. And then I was yelling at him. (laughs) This is happening a lot around my house these days. Um, It's like the water just gets scooped out so easily by the easiest, simplest thing. And so my like prayer of desperation right now is like, Lord, would you fill back up the well? Like, would you just get me to a place where I don't feel like I'm running on empty all the time? Like in the deep soul places, that's what I'm desperate for. That's what I'm calling out to Jesus to do for me. So for all of us, we need to be asking that um, ourselves. What is it that I'm desperate for? What is it that I need from Jesus? And then like really expect that he might do that. I'm giving up all these little comforts right now, you know, like we all are, but <laughs> it's really hard for me. <laughs> I, I was just pregnant for so long and I finally got to drink wine again and now I have to not drink wine again. And that's very sad. And um, secondly, truthfully, I eat ice cream every single night. Every single night. And I can't have it. And popcorn just won't do it, you know? Like, there's no replacement. And, but that's, like, the point, you know, is to, like, get to the end of the night and be, like, this desire I have to eat ice cream is the sign of a greater desire I have for God to, like, bring me all the things that ice cream does times a million, you know, like the way it's comforting and like rhythmic and sweet, all of those things, like they're reflections of what my heart wants from God. Even food is. And so we take all of these things to God. The desire I feel for those things this season is going to be a grace to me, reminding me that the thing I'm actually desperate for for is the presence of Jesus. And so those things are reminders for us to keep company with him because he's, he's really the only thing that will satisfy So the last thing is that fasting leads to freedom. Fasting exposes things in us, things we keep tamped down sort of day in and day out with creature comforts. Uh, When we fast, we really see what controls us, what's keeping us enslaved in our lives. When the Israelites wandered in the wilderness, they weren't sure where their next meal would come from. And so they said they wished they were back in Egypt, enslaved again, so that they uh, knew where their next meal would come from. And I like... I see myself in that all the time. God, like, free me from being that person 
who just wants to be back where things are comfortable and not free. Fasting makes us ask the question, what would I rather be enslaved by, as it were, than live without? I remember a Lenten sermon from my friend Trip Prince, who some of you may remember he preached here a few times. Uh, I was listening to it on a run actually several years ago, but I remember he said, he was talking about things, you know, how smartphones enslave us in many different ways. And he said, uh, get a flip phone. God wants you to be free. And it's one of those sermon lines, like, I don't remember the rest of the sermon, but like, I remember that, you know, and I, it comes to my, God brings it to my mind all the time because like, what a word for us, you know, like God wants you to be free. And I don't know what the thing is for you. And it's such simple things that can keep us enslaved sometimes, you know, like get rid of your Netflix account. God wants you to be free or give away your Xbox. God wants you to be free. Or even, God, help us, you know, like, get sober. God wants you to be free. So fasting is about freedom. Fasting asks, what is the price of freedom in Christ for me, and am I willing to pay it? So just to close, fasting for us can be, uh, for it to be spiritual, for the sort of desperation, deprivation, freedom to like really take hold of our souls, fasting and prayer must go hand in hand. We will not get to the end of this Lent feeling like we really fasted for Jesus if we do not take up the practices of prayer and reading scripture. So I already told you, you know, like where I've been spiritually recently, these things I've been like desperate for and praying for, even just since Ash Wednesday. It's only been four days. God help me. But as I've been sitting with God in my emptiness in scripture and prayer since Wednesday, I've been reminded of something very true that the Bible tells us. And this is just good news. And I want to leave you with this today as a sort of Lenten blessing to you. The Bible tells us that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That if you come to your space in prayer, if you're like, you're like I'm doing the fast, I'm giving it up. And then you come to your prayer time and you're like, this is the space in my life I don't know what to do with. The good news for you is that the Spirit knows what to do with that space. The Spirit will help you in your weakness. That very same Spirit will cry out to God with groans and sighs too deep for words. So that if you don't know what to pray, the Spirit knows what to pray for you. So all you have to do is sit and listen and be prayed over by the Spirit of God. What a gift that is. So um, I hope that is really good news to you. I want to take a minute for us, uh, if you're able, will you stand, to put ourselves before God today. And uh, before we even leave this room, to maybe begin to ask that question, what am I desperate for? What would I cry out to the, the son of David to, uh, to do for me? What is the truest thing in my heart that I just need God to, to answer um, and to let the spirit do that work in you and pray for you, speak over you? So we'll just take a couple moments uh, to be quiet together, and then we will recite the Nicene Creed together. So Holy Spirit, come. <laughs> 